this is the story of the Reformation. You've got a situation in a community, uh, and this happens, I mean, once it gets to the United States, you get it happening once a week around here, is that some community will get started. Some pastor will get involved in some chaos. Some people will be like, screw that. We don't want to get involved with that kind of chaos. We're going to start our own thing, right, with the righteous group from this church, and we're going to start our own thing. And that goes well until another person screws up, and they're like, you know what? Let's take the remnant and start this thing in a strip mall, right? This is this is why when people point to organized religion and say oh, the Catholic oh, Church, right, what yeah, they yeah. they don't realize that what they're actually pointing to is probably the least organized I mean, Catholicism is like the least organized religion. These things that keep on splintering, trying to find the one pure group with no paper trail, that is a quest for an organized religion. Hello and welcome to another One Horse Open episode of On the Journey with Matt and Ken and Kenny. We are with the Coming Home Network. We all came from various evangelical backgrounds in our cases and ended up in the Catholic Church. And that's kind of what we're here to explain. If you want to come visit us and check out more episodes and find out what we're about, please do so at chnetwork.org. We also have an online community there that you can plug into. And of course, these episodes and all of our resources are made possible through our generous partners in mission. If you want to join them, you can go to chnetwork.org slash donate. Ken, Kenny, how are you? Doing good. Feeling Christmassy now if I, as I look at you, Matt. I feel... Yeah. It's, this is going to be a real Christmassy episode. Yes. I just wanted <laughs> you guys to know what fun it is to ride. <laughs> yeah. Uh, with yeah. You. So, um, well... Uh, we have been going through the four marks of the church, and we did an episode on, uh, if you don't know what the four marks are, the church is one holy Catholic and apostolic, according to the Nicene Creed. We did an episode on the word one. We did an episode on the word holy. We are now on our third episode <laughs> on the word Catholic. <laughs> and so, final. And yeah. final. Third and final. And final episode on the third word Catholic before we move right. to apostolic. Uh, that being said, if, as we understood from the last two episodes we did on the word Catholic, that the church is the world reconciled, right, uh, as the catechism yeah. states, that this is supposed to be the home for all humankind, then we should probably mm -hmm. let people know about this. So right, uh, I right. guess that's where we start this part of the conversation. Yeah, we want to we do a little bit of review on how we um, have been unpacking this word Catholic over the last couple of, of episodes, because it is, as you said in the first episode on the four marks, Matt, this is an article of faith. It's just not, it's not just cool things Catholics believe. This is part of both the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, and it's an ecclesial article of faith, so we're bound to believe it, but what in the world does it mean? And so, um, in the first episode, remember guys, when we talked about Catholic the first time, the catechism begins by defining that word for us. Uh, it's the universal church of Jesus. And in that episode, we unpacked the reality that that doesn't just mean everyone who believes in Jesus. That doesn't account, as we saw, for all the ways in which the word is actually used by those who use it. We saw that there were aspects to the church's universality, such as its leaders, its worship, and its doctrine. I see these like pearls on a necklace. They all go together, and then there's a string that holds all these pearls together, and that string is um, the presence of Jesus throughout all history to this particular church. And, uh, and that, by the way, is going to come out more when we talk about apostolicity. But this is the church founded by Jesus, the one church which can be found in every place where the successors, the successors of the apostles are found, the Eucharist is found, and where those who join themselves to the bishop and that valid Eucharist and the church's teaching are found. That's the big idea of the meaning of the word Catholic. And then last time, uh, we talked about who belongs to 
the Catholic Church. And Ken used the really great device of concentric circles there. Uh, think of them, the innermost circle, as those who embrace a full union with Jesus and his church. Like they want to be part of it. They believe in it. They willingly associate themselves with it in every way. And they're faithful to Christ and to what it means to be a Christian in communion with the Catholic Church. They belong to the church. But then the next uh, circle out, we talked about the concept of mooring lines which uh, and, and, and cleats, things that we have in common in terms of how we think and believe. Um, if we find people like that who are not properly uh, housed, as it were, in the Catholic Church, we still feel and see a sense of belonging, that they, in those ways, belong with us and those things which belong to us, in, though an imperfect way, unite us to those people in different ways. And then the third concentric circle, we talked about um, by virtue of the claims of Jesus that all of heaven and earth belongs to him, uh, he's the Lord of, of heaven and earth, that in a sense, all of humanity belongs to Jesus and is, um, properly speaking, the, the mission field of the church. So we're, we're going after all the things that belong to Jesus. He has a universal claim on the whole co cosmos. And you, you can leave that discussion last week with a sense of tension, which we hope this episode will bring some resolution to. And the tension is, well, what is to be done about the fact that there has not been a full, practical, realized reconciliation of everyone and everything to Jesus. Answer? Uh, mission. That church needs to join the mission of God, which we're going to unpack today in paragraphs 849 to 856. So with that in mind, a little introduction, uh, toss it yeah. to you, Ken. <laughs> yeah, thank you for teeing that up for me, Kenny. Thank you very much. Okay, I'm going to launch into paragraph 849, where we hear right away about the church's missionary mandate. Okay, and the word mandate, that's a strong word. Listen to what paragraph 849 of the Catechism says. Having been divinely sent to the nations, that she might be the universal sacrament of salvation. And I'll come back to that. I love that phrase, the universal mm -hmm. sacrament of salvation. The church, in obedience to the command of its founder, and because it is de demanded by her own essential universality, strives to preach the gospel to all men. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always until the close of the age. I hope you caught those two words in obedience, the word obedience to the command of her founder, and also the word demand. And because it is demanded by her essential universality, the church strives to preach the gospel to all men. Okay, two points on this quickly. Um, the first is simply how much I love that description of the church as the universal sacrament of salvation. Okay, as we, as we know, um, the church teaches us that a sacrament is an effectual sign, okay? That's how we can think of a sacrament. It is a sign. Baptism does point to something. Baptism speaks of the washing of regeneration and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Confirmation speaks of a unique spiritual strengthening. The Eucharist speaks of the body and blood of Christ offered up and shared among us as God's people. But these sacraments are signs, here's the thing that makes them a sacrament, they are signs that actually convey the graces that are depicted by the sign. They actually, the grace is by the power of God is actually given to us that the sign indicates or points toward. And just just briefly, for, for an example, I remember you guys how shocked I was as a Baptist when I first began to realize that this is how the early church viewed baptism. And I want to just read uh, two lines, actually. In his classic work titled The Emergence of the Catholic Tradition, um, the very great Yale historian of doctrine, 
the late Yaroslav Pelikan, tells us that according to the teaching of the early church fathers, and he just states this as though there, there's no controversy about it, uh, having summed up you know, the teaching of so many of the fathers, he says, according to the teaching of the early church fathers, four basic gifts are given in baptism. The remission of sins, deliverance from death, regeneration, and the, and the bestowal of the Holy Spirit. So, you know, baptism is a sign. I believed that during all the 11 years I was a Baptist pastor, but it's an efficacious sign. It's a sign that does what is depicted by the sign. And the same is true of the church. The church is both a sign of salvation, and what the catechism is telling us here is that it is also the means through which salvation is extended throughout the world. The church is the universal sacrament of salvation. Okay, and the second point that I wanted to make is, is, is this. Because the Catholic Church is the universal sacrament of salvation, quoting again from the paragraph that I just read, I quote, the church in obedience to the command of her founder and because it is demanded by her own essential universality, strives to preach the gospel to all men. And I want to make a just a brief comment here. There are some who argue that there are certain kinds of people to whom the church should not preach the gospel, okay? And I just want to state, this is not true. This would contradict the paragraph that we just read. Now, the most controversial in this regard, and this takes us back briefly to a subject we talked about in our last episode, is the idea of evangelism with those of the Jewish faith. This is this is probably the one that is talked about more often than any other. But even here, the church does not back off from its missionary mandate, which is the subject of the paragraph I just read. And, and I wanted to just read a passage that I think is very illuminating. We don't need to go into depth on it. We don't need to talk about all the threads of thought that, that, that would easily flow from it. But I want you to hear it. This is a passage from a document titled The Gifts and Calling of God are Irrevocable. It was issued on the 50th anniversary of the Vatican II document, Nostra Aetate, by the Dicastery for Promoting Christian Unity. Just listen to it. It is easy to understand that the so-called mission to the Jews is a very delicate and sensitive matter for Jews because, in, in their eyes, it involves the very existence of the Jewish people. This question also proves to be awkward for Christians because for them, the universal salvific significance of Jesus Christ and consequently the universal mission of the church are of fundamental importance. So it's awkward both directions. Continuing to read, the church is therefore obliged to view evangelization to Jews who believe in the one God in a different manner from that to people of other religions and world views. And, and notice just briefly that it's talking here about Jews who believe in God. It's talking about Jews who believe in God. We're obliged to view evangelization with Jews who believe in the one God differently, in a different manner than we might with others, okay, other world religions, other, other views. And then continuing to quote, in, con in concrete terms, this means that the Catholic Church neither conducts nor supports any specific institutional mission directed toward Jews. While there is a principled rejection of an institutional Jewish mission, Christians are nonetheless called to bear witness to their faith in Jesus Christ, also to Jews. Although they should do so in a humble and sensitive manner, acknowledging that Jews are bearers of God's word, referring to the Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the original men, the, the people who received God's word, acknowledging that Jews are bearers of God's word, and particularly in view of the great tragedy of the Shoah, the Holocaust. And what I hear this passage saying is, is simply this, because of the unique role of the people of Israel, the Jewish people, in the history of redemption, and also in light of the recent tragedy of, of the Shoah, the church does not want to institutionalize any kind of mission to the Jewish people, but at the same time, 
It commands all Christians to share their faith in Jesus Christ with all people, including the Jewish people. Anyway, that, that's all that I wanted to say about that. If you have any comments to make, please do so. So I don't have any comments to make about that because I feel like, again, when it comes to this question of Catholicism and Judaism, I don't want to say anything the church hadn't said, <laughs> right? I don't want to step into that world accidentally. I kind of like just letting that stuff speak for itself. I'm more interested in this question of the Great Commission and how you would have thought about what you were told to do as pastors, because I think every Christian that I ever knew um, in my world of, you know, Methodist, Nazarene, non-denominational through, you know, attending a Christian liberal arts college, everywhere I went, right, we all understood that we were meant to carry out the Great Commission. And I think if I had to quote it, I would be able to quote this verse from memory, probably from middle school. But I don't think that I would have ever... I think that I would have said these words, but in my mind, what I have, what I would have thought was, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, getting them to ask Jesus Christ into their heart as their personal Lord and Savior, and right. teaching them yeah, to it, observe <laughs> all that I've commanded. Yeah it, yeah, it definitely would have been teaching them to obey every, yeah, yeah. It, wouldn't have, it would not have been baptizing in the name of the Father yeah, and the Son right. and the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, because in no. my mind, uh, so... It, I don't know how this disconnect filtered down, but what I would have said in my mind, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. This is what my theology would have actually been, was teaching them to accept me as their personal Lord and Savior, and later when they want to show to the community that they're ready to be serious, mature Christians, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Like, because that's what we actually believed. But yeah, it's just, it's yeah, crazy and then, that... Yeah, and then began to teach them to obey as long as they're very, very careful to to uh, to distinguish obedience as something required, uh, you know, for, you know, rather you than know, something that flows know. forth from their previous belief. Yes, I mean, you were you were a, a once saved, always saved guy, and I was not. But like I'm telling you, I would have not. It, it's so elementary to to me now what is implied by the Great Commission, and it would have been completely invisible <laughs> to me in the way that the Church understands it, which seems to be the more literal, direct way to understand what Jesus is saying. Yeah. I think I'll I'll jump in here guys if it's okay and in answer to Matt's question also use my answer as a segue into paragraph 850 which kind of uh, leads, you know, right out of his question into the next flow of thought. And I think I'm with you Matt, you know, initially I think this text in Matthew 28 um I understood it as an imperative to go, quote, go get people saved uh, through some formulaic process, whereas the, the Catholic Church doesn't teach that preaching the gospel is fulfilling some kind of formula. Um, instead, that it, it teaches what the Bible teaches, that preaching the gospel is an imperative, a mandate of the church based on a reality that has taken place as a result of what has happened through Jesus in the world. That, uh, namely, that because of the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and his ascension to the right hand of God and his claim on all of heaven and earth as his rightful property, because that's true, which is what he says, by the way, in the verse just before the Great Commission, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. It's on that basis that we are therefore, in other words, since Jesus is in charge of heaven and earth, you therefore go out to all of the nations of the world and bring them into this life, this real life that, that Jesus has made possible. How? Through baptism, which is entry, you know, immersion into the Trinitarian life that um, that we're going to talk about in the next paragraph, and then teaching them obedience to the king. Like, that's what the community is. It's the obedient community that follows King Jesus, who's Lord of heaven and earth. And you are to go out and in every way possible, see that become a reality through your mission. And so, this next paragraph 850 
kind of takes off on what, well, what does that look like? You know, how did, and this is what the next several paragraphs will unpack. What does the missionary impulse of the church look like in real time? Here in 850, it says the origin and purpose of mission. The Lord's missionary mandate is ultimately grounded in the eternal love of the most holy trinity. Okay. (laughs) In other words, Here, God's calling all of humanity into the life of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, out of love. And then it goes on and says, The church on earth is by her nature missionary, since to the plan of the Father she has as her origin the mission of the Son and the Holy Spirit. The ultimate purpose of mission, here it is, is none other than to make men share in the communion between the Father and the Son in their spirit of love. This, to me, the way, I, the way I make sense of this whole thing is the biblical story tells us what God is up to, that God has, by his own free love and an act of sheer love and, and his will, has created the whole world and the human race and wants to bring the human race into a real relationship, a familial relationship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But we have wandered away like the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son. We've run away from home. And so the mission of the church is to bring the wayward son back home again. It's our mission to bring that the, the wayward humanity back into the household of the Father himself the missionary God. And I don't know about you guys, but I didn't really see God as a missionary for for a lot of of years that I was a Christian. Uh, I started to see him this way before I became Catholic. Now, as I learn how to think as a Catholic and I I hear the catechism, I see God as the missionary and um, Christ as the fulfillment of, of God's mission and the church as the instrument of Christ's mission to the church. And, uh, and that's why I said at the beginning, Matt, before I, before I sign off on this and toss it to you guys, that this is a very Christmassy episode because that really is what Chris, Christmas means. It's, it's the Messiah has been sent and the Messiah who has been sent on a mission sends us on a mission. We join his mission to reconcile all people back to God. So in that in that way, final thought, we are the missionary partner of the Trinity in the world. All right, so I don't want to get into the weeds too far on this, but I actually did see God as a missionary. Uh and it is because if you go back and watch my particular journey to the Catholic faith, which we did several episodes ago. By the way, stay tuned because I think our next series is going to be Kenny's story, which will be a blast. (laughs) But the reason I did see God as a missionary or came to see him more as a missionary was because uh, art and beauty and literature were a major part of my journey. And so the idea of how beauty function and how God is speaking to people through the things that he has made through the world that he has created was something that was resonating with me deeply mm-hmm. uh, for actually several years before um, before I became Catholic. And I was trying to find the Christian stream that seemed to be able to make sense of that. And that's part of how I ended up in the Catholic Church. So I did see that. <laughs> um, but the, the one other thing I'll mention about this is that if you had taken uh, that First paragraph we did, 849, which talks about the church as the universal sacrament of salvation, and taking this paragraph and the next couple that we were that we're going to go through, um, this would have sounded like a lot of it could have just been, is easily been lifted from the notes of like a 1987 gathering of evangelism explosion, or like you might right. find it in like a scratch pad and the organizational documents at the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, like a big chunk of this right. right here in the middle is like how a lot of evangelicals think about their duty. They wouldn't You're capitalize right. the word church, right? But there would be a sense that the people of God are wrapped up in this somehow. Yeah, and that, and that this goes back to the idea that God is not acting in the world without a church, without his right. church. This is the way God acts in the world. And, and that's another way of kind of bringing light to the 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 truth that we learned last week, which is outside the church, or let's put it this way, without the church, there's no salvation. This is how God brings this, the saving work of Jesus 
to the world through the church. Sorry, Ken. You know, I, no, <laughs> to you. no, it's all right. You know, I, I, I'm sitting here thinking about whether I want to, no, I don't want to go off on the tangent. So I, 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 I want to <laughs> say this. I have, um, I do have a view of the gospel now that is so much more beautiful in, in my eyes than mm-hmm. I had before, mm-hmm. because you, you said it so well, you developed the meaning of that paragraph in the catechism so well, Kenny, but we're beginning with the eternal love and happiness of the triune God and, yes. and God's desire in creation then to have that love, to have that happiness just spill over into the lives of countless sons and daughters made in his image and likeness. And then through Christ now, the church joins with him to go out into all the world and to bring that message and to bring everyone in. Because I, I, I'll simply state this, during the years when I was a hardcore Calvinist, I didn't have that view of salvation history. My ultimate view was that God's desire in the world was to display the full range of his attributes. So he ordained from, from before the beginning of time some to be saved, and he ordained some to be damned so that he could display his mercy and goodness on the one hand and then display his wrath and judgment on the other hand. And, and, and that, that was his goal. That was his goal, the display of these attributes. And now I just see it so differently now. And this takes us so beautifully to the next paragraph, by the way, because the first paragraph then that I dealt with was about the mandate, the fact that there is a mission, missionary mandate for us. And then you, Kenny, in the next paragraph, you took off on explaining the origin of this mandate. Where does it come from in the very life of God and God's desire to, to draw all of humanity into that life again? Well, the next paragraph, 851, it, uh, goes to the motivation. It talks about the motivation for the church's missionary work. This is what is zeroed in on. This is what is focused on. And the church's motivation, it turns out, is exactly the same as God's. For God so loved the world. That's what the passage says, right? That's on like the every single, isn't it on every single cup, you know, uh, you know, uh, at, at the In-N-Out burger place, you know? Or, or some, some restaurant like that had John 3.16 like printed on the bottom of every single cup. But our motivation is the same as God's. For God so loved the world. It's the same as St. Paul's uh, motivation that he expressed in 2 Corinthians 5.14 when he said, for the love of Christ compels us. This is the motivation. Now, okay, listen to the catechism. This paragraph 851. It is from God's love for all men that the church in every age receives both the obligation and the vigor of her missionary dynamism. For the love of Christ urges us on, another translation of that passage, 2 Corinthians 5.14, the love of Christ compels us. Indeed, God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's that's a quotation from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. And that's something I, I didn't used to believe that. I did not believe that. But God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That is, God wills the salvation of everyone through the knowledge of the truth. Salvation is found in the truth, those who obey the promptings of the Spirit of truth are already on the way of salvation. But the church, to whom this truth has been entrusted, must go out to meet that desire. And here we're back you know, to these little uh, points of light we talked about last week. Those who are obeying the prompting of the Spirit of truth, regardless of who they are, atheist, Muslim, Jew, anybody, are already on the way of salvation. They're, they're moving along that road. But the church to whom this truth has been entrusted must go out to meet their desire so as to bring them the truth. Because she believes in God's universal plan of salvation, the church must be missionary. I spoke a moment ago about the, this notion that there are certain people maybe that the Catholic Church should not evangelize. Well, another idea that floats about these days on the ether on the theological ether, is the idea that Pope Francis opposes evangelism. I, I'm sure you've heard it if you've listened to 
anybody, you know, YouTubes and podcasts and all that. This idea that Pope Francis opposes evangelism, which I want to deal with here just quickly, okay? And I'll begin by saying that while I wouldn't want to defend every sometimes unclear statement that not simply Pope Francis, but any Pope can make in the course of their lives, this idea is based on a misunderstanding, and I want to say, I want to state that bluntly. Yes, Pope Francis has spoken against what he refers to as proselytism on a number of occasions. Pope Francis has said that proselytism is illicit. He's used that word. He has described proselytism as the strongest poison against the ecumenical path. Pope Francis has said that proselytism among Christians is a grave sin, and he has used the analogy of a soccer team, insisting that the Catholic Church is not a soccer team, you know, uh, running about the globe seeking fans. <laughs> That's an interesting way of saying it. You know, prancing about the globe how, seeking how Argentini fans. How Argentinian. How Argentinian. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Football. Or seeking to, yeah, or seeing yeah. to win. Yeah a competition for members. He, he's spoken in these kinds of ways. On the other hand, I want you to listen to what Pope Francis said in an address that he gave to the Jesuits in Madagascar and Mozambique in 2019. So I'm quoting Pope Francis here. What I mean is that evangelism is free. Proselytism, on the other hand, makes you lose your freedom. Proselytism is incapable of creating a religious path in freedom. It always sees people being subjugated in one way or another. In evangelism, the protagonist is God, something that you're going to come back to a little later, Kenny. I love that line. In evangelism, the protagonist is God. In proselytism, it is the I. The I. Okay, now from this and from other things that Pope Francis has said, it, it's clear to me that the Pope believes in evangelism. What he does not believe in, and what he seems to have in mind when he uses the word proselytism or proselyte, what he seems to be against is the use of high-pressure sales tactics or coercive techniques um, with the goal of winning converts to make us feel great that our team is getting larger and the other teams are getting smaller. The, these are the kinds of attitudes or feelings or, uh, uh, or um, goals that he has in mind, soccer goals that he has in mind when he uses the word proselytism. He does not teach that we should not evangelize, that the church should not. And by, and by, and by the way, Pope Benedict XVI said similar things. Um, I want to quote again, this is from Pope Benedict. This is from a homily that the Pope preached on May 13th, 2007. Listen to what Benedict had to say. The church does not engage in proselytism. Instead, she grows by attraction, just as Christ draws all to himself by the power of his love, culminating in the sacrifice on the cross. So the church fulfills her mission to the extent that, in union with Christ, she accomplishes every one of her works, including the work of evangelism, the mandate that we read about in the Catechism, she accomplishes every one of her works in spiritual and practical imitation of the love of her Lord. So, you know, whatever statements that a pope might have made offhand, or the bishops or other Christians, or myself, anybody, you know, might have made, expressing their attitude toward proselytism and exactly how to distinguish it from evangelism. I just want to make clear here that the catechism is very clear. God wills the salvation of every person, man, woman, and child. Those who obey, and now I'm quoting again from the paragraph I just read, those who obey the promptings of the spirit of truth, whoever they are in this world, are already on the way of salvation. And the church to whom the truth of Christ has been entrusted must go out to meet their desire and to bring them to the truth. Comments, gentlemen? Well, just a couple. Uh, one is that, uh, I'm going to paint with very broad brushes here, but to the person who is a proselytist, prosel, prosel, proselytizer, 
they feel like they're an evangelist. I sort of put that out there. <laughs> Very often the proselyte, the proselytizer feels like they're doing evangelism. Um, and the other thing is, is that to the person who doesn't want to be evangelized, evangelism can feel like proselytism. So there is, there's a lot of, the, the best example, the best example I can give here is, and again, when I say I paint with broad brushes, um, is that I've lived a few different places um, as a Catholic and a non-Catholic, uh, but especially as a Catholic. Every time I move to some new place, the Jehovah's vi Witnesses visit me exactly once. <laughs> and that is all. <laughs> because they come in and they have a talking point plan. They have the things that they want me to sit and listen to. And they've got the stuff. And the second that I ask a question that gets them off a talking point... Things go south very quickly. And I found out that it's not just that me get... So the first time I thought, well, it's because I'm being an argumentative person. Next time I move and get another visit from them, I'll do something different. Uh, that time around, uh, I was living in Cincinnati. I gave them a book. I said, I'd love to take your materials. Can we trade? I'll let you have one of mine. I found out you can't give them a book or they'll never come back. <laughs> All right. <laughs> there is no dialogue involved in this process. There is no exchange of ideas. There is no human relationship. Mm -hmm. There is... A sales pitch, you in or you out. Uh, whereas, over the decades, I've had some really interesting and fruitful uh, conversations. I'm so bummed that they rotate out the LDS missionaries as quickly as they do. Because just when I get to know them and we start to have a good time, they move on and we get a next crop of them. But I find that we have great conversations they want to know about me and my family. I ask them about their, them and their family. They want to know something about what Catholics think about things. I want to know something about what they as LDS think about things. We challenge each other. We get surprised at what we have in common. We say, you know what? I'll agree to read this thing. I would love for you to read this thing. I'm going to text you this passage. And we have a conversation. To me, that helps highlight the difference between what's going on in, in these questions. Um, yeah, and I like the fact that you brought out that there's a subjective element in the way that we take these words, proselytism, evangelism, because what we do on this show, on the journey with Matt, Ken, and Kenny, is, could be seen as proselytism, meaning that we are, we are taking the time here to explain how and why we came from the positions we had before to uh, the positions that, that we hold now. And we make arguments. We present a case along the way. And so yet there's a lot of subjectivity in the thing. The one thing we're not doing here is trying to beat someone over the head and demand that they become like us. We are trying, I hope, to appeal we're, uh, to, to appeal to people as people in friendship, in love, to consider um, these things. Kenny, I'm sure you have something to throw in. Well, I'll use my comment again <laughs> as a segue into the next okay. three paragraphs because I got I got to cover those. But I I like this so much. I like uh, what you brought out there, um, Ken, with with that reflection on evangelization, as we Catholics say it, um, versus proselytizing, and even Matt's examples of what's done sometimes in this door to door work, for instance, that you see a lot of, a lot of times, and the language that Pope Francis uses has to do with going out to people. There again, you see the image of the, 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 the prodigal father, let, let's call him, who sees his son from a distance, from a great distance, and runs out to him, you know, to bring him home. And this is, this is, uh, paternal love that motivates that going out and wanting. And, and the difference between proselytism and evangelization is really about what we read earlier about what it means to preach the gospel. To preach the gospel to, per to a person is to announce to them that King Jesus is Lord mm -hmm. of heaven and earth and to bring that person as fully into the life of the Trinity as they're willing to go uh, all the way through baptism and into a transformed life of obedience to Jesus, which we're going to see in the next section is a process that happens for all of us. So like even we we call the show on the journey. Not only were we on a journey, but we're still on a journey and we're meeting lots of people on the way at different at different places and and encouraging them to to journey with us, you know, toward the fullness of faith in Christ. So um I, you know I get what you're saying about <laughs> the subjectivity of those words. Our mission compels us 
to go out to where people are. That's incarnational. That's what Jesus does. He goes out. He's the missionary God. He goes out to us in our, in our sinfulness to bring us back to the Father. That's a simple picture of what evangelization well looks said. like. Well ring, said. So, ring the bells, Seth. Ring the bells. Kenny's so, on fire so today. Here, well said. Yeah. So here then, <laughs> the natural place to go with this then is 852, 3, and 4. 852 begins this way. Missionary paths. <laughs> In a sense, quoting, or Pope Francis quoting this, he's Pope Francis said, God is the protagonist. Here the Catechism says the Holy Spirit is the protagonist, the principal agent of the whole of the church's mission. It is he who leads the church on her missionary paths. This mission continues and in the course of history unfolds the mission of Christ, who was sent to evangelize the poor. So the church, urged on by the Spirit of Christ, must walk the road Christ himself walked a way of poverty and obedience, of service and self-sacrifice, even to death, death from which he emerged victorious by his resurrection. So it is that, and then quoting Tertullian here in the late second century, the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. My understanding or sort of reframing or phrasing of this paragraph is the missionary God, Jesus, brings us with him on his mission. So we have to get on the road with Jesus, the incarnational <laughs> road with Jesus, and go out to the lost humanity in lots of different ways and and bring them all home. Now, before I go back, go to the next paragraph, anything you guys want to throw, throw in right there? Okay. So 853, <laughs> 853, on her pilgrimage, the church has also experienced the discrepancy existing between the message she proclaims and the human weakness of those to whom the gospel has been entrusted. Only by taking the way of penance and renewal, the narrow way of the cross, can the people of God extend Christ's reign. For just as Christ carried out the work of redemption in poverty and oppression, so the church is called to follow the same path if she is mm. to communicate the fruits of salvation to men. I'll just share a, a couple of thoughts here, and I I want to pause because I want to get your sense of this too, guys. But um, a way of understanding this paragraph is: what do you what do you discover <laughs> when you get on the ark? So the ark being that picture of of the mm -hmm. saved community that God's you know rescuing from the destruction of the world. Well, what you discover is the saved humanity and all the smells and sounds and messiness that comes with that saved humanity. And so this, in a sense, this paragraph, if you're thinking about becoming Catholic, this paragraph is getting you ready for what you are going to see when you become Catholic. You are going to find the community of the having been saved, who are being saved, who will be saved, and who are bringing others into this same community. In other words, we're all in this process of having been, being, and will be saved. And this is experienced in very real ways in the life of the church. And this, the Catechism wants us to know, is a difficulty with our mission. Let me pause there just for reflection. For well, I, I just want to say that I almost laughed as you were reading this because I was thinking when we, when we stand up together at the beginning of mass, we do not say, Lord, there is a discrepancy between the message that we proclaim, <laughs> you know, like, and I, you know, you know, I don't go into the confessional, I don't go into the confessional and say, well, you know, there's a slight discrepancy. That, that word discrepancy almost made me laugh. No, we stand up and say, I confess to almighty God and to you, my yes. brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts. You know, yes. that, that word discrepancy just made me laugh. Oh, it made, made me laugh to think of, you know, Father, you know, uh, bless me, Father, for I've sinned. It's been weeks since my last confession. There is a dis ever so slight discrepancy <laughs> between. <laughs> anyway, 
<laughs> anyway, uh, I'm just struck by the beauty of of the way these things are being described in the catechism. This is so theolo- lo- theologically a subtle and nu- well nuanced and really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Don't you think, Matt? I I do, and it it points to a reality that I don't think I was able to stomach in some of the Christian communities I was a part of before. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think I've also mentioned in my story that, you know, I experienced scandals in Christianity from the time I was a kid, and it frustrated me, but I also knew that the world was not my home. And so where did I go to find, like, some kind of mm-hmm. people that I could latch on to? I went into this, you know, the Christian punk and metalcore underground, and it's, which is all singing about, like, God, I'm a sinner, and uh, I hate the fact that so many Christians are hypocrites, right? Like, this is kind of like the boilerplate thematic base of (laughs) where a lot of the musical genre comes from and so i i I, i'm sure that you've experienced this so many not only have you probably probably experienced this personally like this is the story of the reformation you've got a situation in a community uh and this happens i mean once it gets to the united states you get it happening once a week around here is that some community will get started some pastor will get involved in some chaos. Some people will be like, screw that. We don't want to get involved with that kind of chaos. And we're going to start our own thing, right, with the righteous group from this church. <laughs> and we're going to start our own thing. And that goes well until another person screws up and they're like, you know what? Let's take the remnant and start this thing in a strip mall, right? This is this is why when people point to organized religion and say oh me, the Catholic oh Church, right, What yeah, they yeah. they don't realize that what they're actually pointing to is probably the least organized Catholicism is like the least organized religion. These things that keep on splintering, trying to find the one pure group with no paper trail, that is a quest for an organized religion. We want the the one that's not messy. We want the one that doesn't have a paper trail. Um, That's kind of... I, I can't tell you how many people I went to school with who wanted to go and start something that wasn't caught up in denominational baggage, start their own thing, and a bunch of those guys have they're not pastor now, right? They're yeah. doing other stuff right. because something weird, right, went right. weird. Personalities got involved. The, the yeah. if the church can't handle weirdos and sinners and personality conflicts, then it's not the church. Yeah, and I, it's it's so important here. You know, this is like a, a course in reality, in ecclesial reality, and that the instrument of God's missionary work in the church in the world is the church made up mm. of um uh, people on the way people on the way mm. to um the the way to heaven and that's a bumpy ride it's a bumpy journey and and God's at work in all of us it's, it is really one of the toughest parts about um, sharing our faith is when there's an inconsistency or a discrepancy in our lives <laughs> or in in the church at large, um, yeah. and this is why we you know we are called to um, be a holy people you know to set our lives apart fully to God because we are on mission. In in a sense, it's it's like saying it's not just about your sin you know it's about mm-hmm. God's mission through you and through the whole people and we like we're His agent in the world. And so, um, l- let me jump though, guys, into 854, uh, just share a couple of thoughts and then toss it to Ken to bring us home. 854 says this by her very mission, the church travels the same journey as all humanity and shares the same earthly lot with the world. She is to be a leaven, as it were, the soul of human society in its renewal by Christ and transformation into the family of God. Missionary endeavor requires patience. It begins with the proclamation of the gospel to peoples and groups who do not yet believe in Christ. It continues with the establishment of Christian communities that are a sign of God's presence in the world and leads to the foundation of local churches. It must involve a process of enculturation if the gospel is to take flesh in each people's culture. There will be times of defeat with regard to individuals, groups, and peoples. It is only by degrees that the church touches and penetrates them and so receives them into a fullness which is Catholic. Now, when I read this text, 
I, I, I was thinking in two directions. In the, let's say, the retrospective direction, I was thinking about the shattering and division of humanity that happens in the biblical story, where all the people are scattered and all the nations go out, you know, from the, from the Tower of Babel. And, and the, the nations are scattered. And then God raises up Abraham and says, let's, in a sense, let's go get everybody and bring them back. And this is what God's been doing f- for all salvation history. And this, this paragraph kind of points to that reality, but then wants to give us a prophetic imagination for the future, which we can find in the seventh chapter of Revelation. I'll just read the ninth verse to you. This is what I see when I read this paragraph about our mission. Revelation chapter seven, verse nine says, after this, I looked and beheld a great multitude which no man could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And it, it goes on to depict them in worship. This is the vision that this paragraph gives us for the church, that it is all the nations, not scattered, but regathered around the throne of God through Jesus. And this is, this is the mission of the church. Well, I'm so glad you, you brought that whole picture in because some people might not have remembered that we're still talking about the third mark of the church, which is that the church is Catholic. Because we hadn't said right. this, this word and tied this theme back together. We're, it sounds like we're going in, off into some other sidetrack, but really... When you when you bring that all back around, you see that this is why are we missionary so that we can go get every tongue and tribe and nation involved in this. And if you don't believe that, ask my Pentecostal friend Kenny over here, like, what was the event you guys named your denomination after? Right. This this place where the church is there and there is what tongues and tribes and nations all over the place gathered into one spot. To hear the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is the vision. Uh, right. I mean, this is the vision. It's yeah. Catholic, universal. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned Babel. If at the Tower of Babel, the nations are dispersed into different languages, it's at Pentecost that the nations began to be brought back Amen. together. Okay. Yes. The line that, the line that just struck me, this is almost, you know, in a devotional way, the way we would, we used to describe it. Um, the line that struck me is that first one, the church travels the same journey as all humanity and shares the same earthly lot with the world. You know, it. in other words, we're not saying we're better than you. We're, we're saying we are like you in every way. We are yeah. like you. And, and yet we still bring this message, as you put it a while ago, Kenny, that Jesus has died and been buried, been raised from the dead, seated at the right hand of the Father. He is the king of the universe. And uh, as much as there is a discrepancy, you know, between what 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 you see in me. That's my new and the, it's our new word. Yeah, yeah. Bless me, Father, well, it, for I have committed discrepancies. Well, you know, it, it's it's so beautifully, it, it's so it, it's so tenderly in a way understating you know the truth you yeah, know yeah for sure that, that's the thing you know again i confess to almighty god and to you my brothers and sisters <laughs> that there is a discrepancy anyway yeah i love that it's going to be through my, my most grievous discrepancy okay yeah okay i'm gonna i'm gonna move along and go into the paragraphs so I, but i love the way this whole thing has flowed today we have the we have the missionary mandate of the church we talk about the origin of the mandate in the very triune god and then we have the uh, then we have the motivation for carrying out the mandate that is love, and then we have the discrepancy that needs to be described <laughs> here. And then finally, in paragraph eight fifty five, the Catechism talks about how the Church's mission stimulates efforts towards Christian unity. Let me read it. Indeed, divisions among Christians prevent the Church from realizing in practice the fullness of Catholicity proper to her and those of her sons, who, though joined to her in baptism, are yet separated from full communion with her. It's talking about our Protestant brothers and sisters. 
Furthermore, the church herself finds it more difficult to express in actual life, in, in actual life, her full Catholicity in all its aspects. Okay, the issue of division. Division within the Catholic Church, Catholic against Catholic, division between Catholics and Protestants. These divisions are, I agree, and will quote Peter Kraft, quote, scandalous and intolerable are the words that Dr. Peter Kraft has used to describe it. And going back to my own conversion to the Catholic faith, one of the passages of Scripture that hit me most powerfully when I began to think seriously about the fact that the Christian world was so splintered, fragmented, um, blasted into so many competing and uh, contradictory versions was John 17, of course, where, I'm just paraphrasing it, but where our Lord on the night of his arrest is praying, and he says, Father, I pray not only for these, referring to the 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 12 that, that were with him, but for those who will believe in me through them, through their word. And, and the Lord prays that they may be one, even as you and I are one, Father, even as you and I, Father, are one, that they may be one, and then he says those words that were really heartbreaking, so that the world may know that you have sent me. And then in another sentence, he says, so that the world may believe that you love them, even as you have loved me. And so in this paragraph, the issue of division is simply recognized once again. And these divisions keep us from realizing and practice all that is meant by the word Catholic. And then in paragraph 856, the missionary task, 856, implies a respectful dialogue with those who do not yet accept the gospel. Believers can profit from this dialogue by learning to appreciate better those elements of truth and grace which are found among peoples and which are, as it were, a secret presence of God. What a beautiful way to describe the things we were talking about in our last episode, mm -hmm. those little hints mm -hmm. of light, the things that people yeah. do see, the things that they do understand, and that they are stumbling toward in their own way. A secret presence of God, continuing to quote, they proclaim the good news to those who do not know it in order to consolidate, complete, and raise up the truth and the goodness that God has distributed among men and nations and to purify them from error and evil for the glory of God, the confusion of the demon, and the happiness of man, quoting there. Now, I only want to say that when I read this again, my mind goes directly to Acts chapter 17, St. Paul at the Areopagus, and the sermon that he preached to the, the, to the Athenians that day, where, you know, he says, Men of Athens, I perceive in every way that you are very religious, as I passed along, I observed the objects of your worship, and I found an idol with the inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown. This I proclaim to you. Paul meets them where they are at. He recognizes the, the searching, the secret presence of God within them. They're searching, and he says, Let me expand on that. This God that you referred to as unknown. Let me tell you who he is. This is the God who made the whole world. This is the God who made all of us. And this is the God that is not far from any one of us. In fact, he goes on to quote from, from a pagan poet, Erastus, who wrote in the third century BC, saying, for we are indeed his offspring. He's basically saying to the Athenians, look, God created all of us in his image to be his sons and daughters. We are all in that sense offspring of God. Even, even the pagan poets have announced this and understood this. He says, let me take this, let me take these hints of light and let me expand on them. And he uses them to bring the gospel. And I think it's beautifully said here that we do this in order to consolidate. He wants to consolidate the truths that they do possess, the light that they do have, complete. He wants to complete this for them and raise up the truth and the goodness of God that God has distributed among men and nations to purify them from error and from evil. And I think here at the end, 
Kenny, of your Navy analogy from last week. And so I actually just want to throw it to you and say, remind us again yeah. about Cletus and Huell Hauser <laughs> and, and all, all these guys well, you were talking about and the beautiful analogy of all the different ways in which you would want to take that ship coming into port and connect it up. So yeah. I'll just throw it back, back to you. Give us that illustration, that analogy one more time. I think it's a beautiful way to end this discussion that we're having sure. here. I'll do that and in doing it, share two verses of scripture that kind of help make sense of it. The analogy there is the ship coming into port, you know, on the ship, um, there, there are cleats, you know, there are things that mooring lines can be cast onto that ship and pulled over. And all of our lives have these, these clips and, and cleats and mooring lines and bollards. And, and this is what the church is encouraging us to look for because it's what God himself looks for when he comes to humanity. All the points of possible connectivity, um, and solidarity. And God will draw, as the scripture says, draw near to him because he draws near to you. There's that image of the mooring between the pier and the ship. And, and this is the then, since God is doing that, this then becomes the mission of the church. So we have to act like God in this way uh, toward the world, not, not in pushing the world away, but in drawing, finding a thing we can connect to. And our mission then is to draw humanity into the life of, of Jesus. Now, two verses of scripture that to me, in my understanding of, of this whole section of the mission, that tie it all together are both from Paul's letters, one to the church in Ephesus, the other to the church in Colossae. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10 says this, As a plan for the fullness of time to unite, there's unity, there's the sense of Catholicity, to unite all things in him. All things, not some things, but all things, to unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. That is a picture of the word Catholic, if you ever saw one in the Bible. It is the full unification of all things into one. Jesus, the head of the church. And then finally, Colossians um, chapter 1, verse 20. Very similar idea here. He says, through him, Colossians 1.20, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So our mission is to participate with Jesus' mission, to be his agent, his missionary partner of bringing all things in heaven and earth into a reconciled relationship, fully reconciled relationship with God. Put a bow on it, Matt. <laughs> all right, I will by quoting one other piece from St. Paul. Uh, and this is be from not Ephesians or Colossae, uh, but from the Corinthians, <laughs> uh, his first letter to them. When Paul says, though I'm free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Uh, to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I become all things to all men, mm -hmm. so that by all possible means, I might save some. So... This is a real good yeah. clue if you're kind of wondering uh, about some of the other things we do at the Coming Home Network. At this point, we're closing in. We're tra on a trajectory towards 2,000 conversion stories of people from just about every background you might imagine. And we're going to continue doing them as long as the Lord tarries with new ones every week, usually multiple new mm -hmm. ones every week and why do we do that from why do i keep on seeking out like more new backgrounds or why do i keep on seek, seeking out more baptists when we already have a lot of baptists it's because the goal is that anybody who comes from anywhere can come to us and say this is who i am and this is where i come from and we can say we know somebody like you right mm -hmm. so that we can point that path and maybe if possible 
help introduce you to that person, right? Because this is how God has kind of like worked in us mm-hmm. uh, so that we can then go use what's happened to us to help somebody else who might be like us. And the church, as we talked about last week, is like a lot of people. <laughs> so yeah. that's the goal. Anything yeah. to throw in before I give us the uh, the wrap up in the website, all that good stuff? Well, I only want to say, Matt, that when I said put a bow on it, it wasn't a reference to the way you're dressed. Okay. Well, you do know, Ken, that the gift does indeed go on. You look like a package. You look like a Christmas package. I do. I do indeed. And with that, thank you for joining us on this episode of On the Journey with Matt and Ken and Kenny. We hope that it's been of some benefit to you. We promise that we'll move to the fourth mark of the church after three episodes on the third mark of the church. But in the meantime, if you want to go watch the uh, other episodes in this whole ongoing series we've done on the church, go to chnetwork.org. You can find uh, those previous episodes of On the Journey as well as the other series that we've done. Uh, You can plug into our online community because we don't just want to tell you stuff. We want to walk with you, right, as the church has called us to in this very episode. Um, uh, Check out our online community for that. That's a great way to plug in. That's community.chnetwork.org. And again, as always, we are so grateful to all of you who supported us over the past year. And as we head through 2024, uh, we would love to have more generous partners in mission to keep this thing going. If you want to join them or find out how you can participate in a whole bunch of different cool projects, go to chnetwork.org slash donate. Gentlemen, thank you again. Have a wonderful day. Thank you guys. God bless. All right. All right.